Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to church this morning. Great to see you all. And uh, apologise for those that didn't get a handout. I severely underestimated the numbers when I printed them out. Uh, so there are a few floating around that's just a bit of a guide of what we're going through this morning. Um, and as we've already heard through our reading and then a wonderful kids' talk from Charlotte, if I was going to choose a passage from the Bible to preach from, this probably wouldn't be it. It's, um, there's a lot going on and there's, um, there's a fair bit there. But as again, as we heard in the kids' talk, all of the Bible's useful for teaching and there's quite a bit in this. So um, hopefully we can unpack it and we'll, we'll know this story pretty well by the end of the service today. We've, we've got it there in our reading. We've heard it in the kids' talk and I'll be going through it again now. Um, and as I've said before too, this passage in 1 Kings, we've been going through 1 Kings chapter by chapter and uh, it has been surprising, very surprising. I've really been enjoying hearing all our different lay preachers bring the, the message through from this passage, uh, from, this, from this book in the Bible. Last week, uh, Drew led us through 1 Kings 12 and we heard what happens when God's left out of the picture. And we, we saw that the United Kingdom that was formed under King David, ruled by King Solomon, then became torn in two, split into those two kingdoms, the north and the south. Before we go much further, I'd just like to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for providing this opportunity for me to speak to your people gathered here this morning. I ask, Lord, that as the words you've given me to say, that I'll be able to speak to your people exactly as you desire. And we thank you, Lord, that you care about us and that you're an approachable God because of what your son did for us on the cross and that through your Holy Spirit we can hear what you have to say to each of us. Amen. I was trying to find an Australian example of um, do you remember where you were when you heard this news, you know, when something had happened as I was preparing for this sermon. And then the more I thought about it and the more I sort of reflected on what was going on in this passage, I ended up with um, this, this piece of news. Do you remember where you were when you heard that Donald Trump had been elected the President of the United States of America? Do you remember? Back in 2016, it was quite a memorable time in history now, I think, and something that we will reflect on in years to come. 9th of November 2016, I clearly remember where I was. I was in Western Australia. I was over at Albany um, representing council at the local Roads Congress uh, and we were talking about this with a bunch of strangers. What's going to happen? What's going to happen in the world? All sorts of madness could ensue when this guy who really has no regard for the truth is then the leader of uh, the first world nation, um, the United States of America. And uh, we were all theorising about all the different things that could happen. And actually, and this photo was taken on the 11th of January in 2017. And on the podium there, it says President, the Office of the President-Elect, which is something that doesn't really exist. But President Trump wanted to stand up and, and talk to the media before his inauguration. He was holding a press conference and there was a CNN journalist there that day by the name of Jim Acosta. And he was attempting to ask some questions and Jim wanted to talk to the president and Trump finally shut him down. He pointed at him and he used the now famous phrase, the now famous phrase, you are fake news. It happened that day. Not exactly a new phrase and interestingly Hillary Clinton had used that phrase about four days earlier but Trump supercharged that phrase. He weaponized it. It was allowing him to throw it at everyone and any media organisation that spoke against him and that turned his words around in a way that he didn't agree with. 
anything that was negative about Trump effectively came, as far as Trump was concerned, became fake news. The opening scene in our passage this morning is similar in some respects. We have a man approaching the king and he makes an announcement and the king doesn't like it. The king says, seize him. And this unknown, unnamed man had a message for the king. We wonder, will the king listen to what the message is? In other words, what will happen if he disobeys God? And so this is the big question that we're going to begin to unpacking in this passage. What happens when you disobey God? So we're going to do a bit of a backstory so we're all on the same page. These passages that we've been looking at form part of this bigger picture, and I've got a bigger picture for our screen this morning. Um, this is the bigger picture in 1 and 2 Kings. That's all packed out. And we're going to actually it comes from an eight-minute little um, YouTube clip from the Bible Project, and I want to show that next week. And we're going to look at the, uh, where we are in the bigger picture. So we're right here in the bigger picture. That is, we're looking at chapters 12 to 16. That's where we are. And the picture looks like this. The little guy, the guy there on the right-hand side, wiggling his little finger, Rehoboam, his little finger's thicker than his father's waist or thigh, depending on which translation you look at. He was guided by greed and power, standing on that pile of money, trying to force more out of the people than he had. Then the people rejected him. So Rehoboam, the other guy on the other side, he then got the ten tribes to follow him and he formed the northern kingdom of Israel, just as it was prophesied to him by Ahijah in 1 Kings 11.31. Ahijah the prophet, he said to Jeroboam, take ten pieces for yourself. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. See, I'm going to tear the kingdom out of Solomon's hand and give you ten tribes. So this creates a civil war between God's people. The northern ten tribes called Israel, they're their capital in Samaria. The southern kingdom consists of the tribe of Judah for the sake of David, the Bible says, and the tribe of Simeon for the sake of Jerusalem. Their capital in the south is Jerusalem. They remain faithful to the reign of David, to the line of David. And just when the southern army was about to attack the northern army, God came to them through a man of, a man of God. So um, Charlotte was right, men of God, he's a prophet. Um, Shema, and he told them, don't fight, go home. And that was it. Civil war practically ended. God got involved for a very short time in 1 Kings 12. So we take up this passage now. We have Jeroboam standing at the altar. He's established this altar in Bethel. It's about 20 kilometres north of Jerusalem. And this unnamed, unknown man, who the scripture calls a man of God, and he's able to approach close enough to the king at the altar and call out this message that God's given him. The passage tells us it's a message by the word of God. So this is the message. The message is not a pronounced against the king. God doesn't bother speaking to the king. The message is pronounced to the altar. And he says, altar, altar, this is what the Lord says. Now the man's using his voice to pronounce his message. We presume that he's not armed. He's wholly unremarkable, just a man of God that's been picked out speaking to an inanimate object, and the announcement is about a son born to the neighbouring kingdom, a son named Josiah, who will be born to the house of David, a name that nobody's heard of. No one knows who this Josiah guy is, never appeared before in the Bible, but he is linked with a name that everybody's heard. They all know who David is. So I imagine this would be annoying at this stage. 
And the king, um, Jeroboam, that's standing there, he would have been, oh, what's going on over there? Until the man reaches the part of the prophecy about these actions, these things are going to happen. And he's talking to the altar still, and he says, on you he will sacrifice the priests of the high places. This is when the king starts to take notice. He's talking about sacrificing priests and heaping human bones on the altar. And that would have piqued his interest. This is pretty gory stuff here. Why does this prophecy interest Jeroboam? One of my Bible commentaries that I've been going through tells me that this phrase, heaping bones on the altar, is the same as desecrating the altar. The other thing that I think we should be looking at here is why was the king even standing at the altar? It wasn't the priest that was standing there. The king standing at the altar making the offering. And I guess when you devise your own religion, just like Jeroboam had, you can do whatever you please. Jeroboam chose to be the priest as well as the king. He wanted the power. He wanted everything. Mosaic law did not permit kings to serve as priests. Jeroboam's priesthood was spurious and it was rejected by the Lord. And I think this gives us a pretty good indication why the message was delivered for the king in exactly the way it was, by an anonymous prophet from Judah while the king was standing at the altar. In hindsight, we know that Josiah, the man in the message, he did become king. And some 300 years later after this prophecy was spoken, what he said came true. We're going to talk a little bit about more of that at the end of the sermon. Before I go on, I want to think about this idea of fake news that I was talking about. How do you decide that what you've read and what you've heard, that, that you're going to fact check? How do you decide that you're, well, I'm not sure about that. I'm, that's not quite right there. Maybe it's the, the source, that you're not really trusting the source of the information. Maybe there's, um, you want to check for some authority or some authenticity. Uh, and to reference the journalist that was targeted by uh, Donald Trump, Jim Acosta, he was listening to the president-elect that day and he was listening to a story that was being described as fake news. And Jim Acosta said this, he, Trump, Trump was telling the world that up was down and black was white. This troubled Jim. And as he realised, there are millions of supporters of the president who would have taken his word for it. And then the president reaches out his arm and he begins pointing at the journalists. And he says to them, he's asking them for questions. And he says, not you, not you, your fake news. And Jim gets silenced at that moment. King Jeroboam, in the same scenario here, this is we're now onto the miracles, the second part. King Jeroboam paid no attention to the message that was given at the altar. All he wanted to do was punish the messenger. He was infuriated that he was being told that his religious system was going to be desecrated and destroyed by this some king named Josiah, uh, from, some king named Josiah from Judea. Any thought from the witnesses that day that this message might have been fake news or a false prophecy would have dissolved the very instant that the king's arm shriveled up. Right before their eyes, they would have seen this happen. Imagine what a humiliating experience that would have been for the king. And then the very next thing that happened is the altar breaks in two and the ashes pour out, exactly as the prophecy pronounced. How does the king react to this? He's more concerned about his physical appearance than his spiritual welfare. The king says, intercede with the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand might be restored. 
So the man of God interceded with the Lord, and the king's hand was restored as it was before. Why didn't the king pray for forgiveness? Why didn't the king turn himself back to God, acknowledge everything that he had done wrong, that he should have been leading the people to worship the Lord, the one true God, not leading them away and worshipping pagans? The king had just witnessed three miracles in quick succession, probably less than three minutes, and his cry sees him changed to a, an invitation for dinner. So he says, seize him. And then he changed, oh, no, come home with me and uh, we'll have some food and we'll, I'll give you a gift. Um, was this a trap? Probably. Was this a performance for all those witnesses? Probably. The king was desperate. What does the king sound like? Sounds like a worn-out parent at the supermarket when your kids are going crazy and they're grabbing all the stuff off the shelves and they're, I want this and I want that, and you just plead to Harry, just, let's just go get home, have something to eat. I'll buy you this kinder surprise. We've all been there as parents. We've been desperate to try and control these things. We, what are we going to do? You see, the other thing about this passage this morning is that the man of God had a very specific instruction from the Lord not to eat bread not to drink water, and not return by the way he came. The messenger, had the messenger stayed to eat a meal, he would have undermined his message. And even more importantly, if he had stayed and taken up the offer that the king had made to him, he would have disobeyed God. The culture at that time about was sharing a meal was a sign of friendship and an endorsement. Proverbs 25, 26 says this, like a muddied spring or a polluted well are the righteous who give way to the wicked. The compromising servant of God muddies the water, confuses the saints. The man of God refused the offer. He refused the food. He refused the gifts. And this is not unfamiliar in the Bible. Daniel did exactly the same thing in Daniel 5.17 when he said, You may keep your gifts and your, for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. And this was during the famous writing on the wall incident with Belshazzar. Now it brings us to the mistake. We've had the, the message, the miracles, and now the mistake. The story in our passage introduces a new character in verse 11. A certain old prophet living in Bethel whose sons came and told him all that the man of God had done that day. This prophet decided that he's going to go after the man of God. And he had the, I like the charge, saddle the donkey. It doesn't sound quite the same as saddle the stallion or, you know, start the car or something. You know, saddle the donkey for me. And they got the donkey ready and the, the old prophet gets on the donkey and he finds the man of God, the man of God sitting under a tree. Where the king had failed to gain the trust of the man of God, how do we think this old lying prophet was going to go? Well, he was, you know, why was he even going there? What was he doing there? Why was, why was this old prophet even in Bethel? Maybe he was once faithfully proclaiming the word of God, but that was probably many, many years ago. You know, he was called a prophet for a reason, but this guy doesn't have much integrity left. He's at an all-time low. But he was prepared to lie to convince this man of God to come back to his house. He was trying to win favour for the king, possibly. We don't really know what his motive was, He's not exactly a spiritual giant because otherwise God would have used him to bring this proclamation against the king. But the man of God was tired. He'd done his mission. He was sitting under the tree. He stopped. He was resting. And the lie worked. 
the deception worked. There's a mini lesson here about temptation. Satan will tempt you when you're tired. He won't tempt you when you're at the top of your game. He won't tempt you when everything's going well. It's when your defences are down. The offer of food and drink when you're tired, um, coming from someone who says, oh, I'm a prophet just like you, it's going to be much harder to resist. When the king offered exactly the same temptation, the man of God could resist it. But when the, this lying, deceiving old man offered it, he gave in. He gave in to the temptation. This is when you need to be on your guard, when you're tired, when you're worn down. When your defences are down, you will be tempted. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 1 to 11, and we read in uh, verse 2, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And then Jesus replied that he didn't have to. The word of God was bread alone. In verse 19 of our, of our passage this morning, our man of God made a mistake. He followed the old prophet. He listened to the temptation. It was a costly mistake. It cost him his life. The man of God returned and he ate and drank in his house. So it's time now, I think, to reflect back about that big picture question in this passage. Do you remember what it was? What happens when you disobey God? This passage is about the message for the king. All these other characters help tell the story and play the role. They help us work out the answer to that big question. The man of God who was deceived and led into disobedience was punished with death. How much more would the punishment be for a wicked king who was sinning with his eyes wide open and leading an entire nation to, uh, to leave God? When that old prophet lied to the man of God, we wonder to ourselves, why didn't he do the fact check? Why didn't he check that, that news? He was given the word of the Lord to, to bring this message he, and he was given, given some very specific instructions. But this is how fake news works. The information seems legit. The, the source might be a bit shady but convincing enough. Once the man of God had turned back on his way, he was doomed. Imagine the surprise the old prophet had then when they were eating together and the, finally the word of the Lord did come to him. And the message was to admonish the man of God and pronounce his death sentence. We get another message in this passage. The message is, you have defied the word of the Lord and have not kept the command of the Lord, the command the Lord your God gave you. You came back and ate bread and drank water in the place where he told you not to eat or drink. Therefore, your body will not be buried in the tomb of your ancestors. So we have another message. We have another miracle Following on from this message, we see another miracle, and it's not a nice one. Verse 24, as he went on his way, a lion met him on the road and killed him. His body was left lying on the road with both the donkey and the lion standing beside it. The lion meets the man on the road. If it wasn't so tragic, it could almost be a joke. You know, why did the lion cross the road uh, to, to kill the man of God? It's, it's the worst joke in history, but... The, the, the miracle here is that the man of God was killed and the lion just stood there, didn't maul the body, didn't eat him, didn't sort of get, you know, and the donkey stayed there as well and the lion didn't touch the donkey. Here is a message for everyone that saw it. 
So imagine that sight. You're on your, you're traveling home from work. You've had a really hard day and go, look, there's a lion and a donkey and a dead body. Oh, honey, oh, you'll never, I saw the strangest thing today. You know, a lion standing next to a dead body and right there was a donkey. What would you say in response? You'd be going, that is fake news. There's no way that happened. But enough people saw this message that they took it back and the word got around the city all the way back to the old prophet. And you could imagine someone saying to that, hey, isn't that your donkey? Isn't, isn't that your donkey that's still out on that road next to that, that man of God who appeared before the, the king at the altar? And they're starting to put all the pieces of the puzzle together. In his book, The Attributes of God by Arthur W. Pink, Pink talks about the supremacy of God as one of the attributes. And he says this, God's supremacy over the works of his hands the works of his hands is vividly depicted in scripture. Inanimate matter, irrational creatures, all perform their maker's biddings. This miracle that those people saw clearly reinforced the original message. God does not tolerate disobedience. You can be sure that Jeroboam heard this message that the man of God had been killed by the lion. The death of the messenger was not something that the king should celebrate, but another warning for Jeroboam. The old prophet, how does he respond? He mourns the death of the man of God. He goes and he takes the body away. He buries it in his own tomb with instructions that he himself needs to be buried next to the man of God. And then he does a remarkable thing. He gathers courage and he proclaims the message, the message that God brought against the altar and all the shrines in the high places. God has a very clear and consistent message to us in this passage, and it's all about obedience. King Jeroboam should have obeyed God rather than setting up his own religion. The last two, the last two verses in this passage tell us, even after this, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways. It was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall, and to its destruction from the face of the earth. Not, not just destruction, destruction from the face of the earth. This is big disobedience. This is big punishment. I've kept up the alliteration, and I, uh, this is massive mistakes. Not really mistakes. It's more like sin. Jer Jeroboam's deliberately sinning. But we've got another message, another miracle, and now we've got massive mistakes. Uh, I want to close out this morning's message with some words that Jesus spoke during his Sermon on the Mount. I think there's two themes running through the passage this morning, that very clear message about obedience, and the second one is to check the facts. Jeroboam's mistake was not following the Lord's commands and decrees. He could have checked. He could have known what they were, but he didn't go to Jerusalem. He wanted to do his own thing. The mistake that the man of God made was not checking with God if those plans had changed. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus preaches these words. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown in the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. The old prophet, he was the wolf in sheep's clothing. 
He would have looked like a prophet. He would have looked the part as part of the deception. He sounded like a prophet, but his invitation was malicious. Where is the evidence of his deeds? Where was the good fruit of his deeds? When the people came with a message for when people come with a message for us, it might be a warning. We might get a, a message of encouragement. We might get a message of correction. Where to where to be reminded? that God will only tell you his will for your life the way that he tells his will for your life. To hear the message from God, you've got to pray regularly, read the Bible regularly, spend time in worship regularly. By their fruit you will recognise them. This is how you tell whether the message comes from God. To wrap up a few loose ends, what about Trump? His Twitter account was shut down, social media put checks on him and eventually not re-elected. He holds the dubious honour of being the only American president to be impeached twice while in office, and he ranks as one of the worst presidents in American history. What about that message that we heard right at the start? A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. We read in 2 Kings 23, and this is about Josiah, even the altar at Bethel, the high place made by Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that's the, the king in our passage, who had caused Israel to sin, even that altar and high place, Josiah demolished. He burned the high place and ground it to powder. And he burned the Asherah pole as well. Then Josiah looked around and when he saw the tombs that were on the hillside, he had all those bones removed from them and burned on the altar to defile it. In accordance with the word of the Lord, proclaimed by the man of God from our story, who foretold these things. The king asked, what is that tombstone I see? The people of the city said, it marks the tomb of the man of God. 300 years later, they still knew where that tomb was. It marks the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and pronounced against the altar of Bethel the very things that you've done to it. Leave it alone, Josiah said. Do not let anyone disturb his bones. So they spared his bones and also the bones of the prophet who'd come from Samaria. That's the old prophet. 2 Kings 23, 15 to 18. So 300 years later, King Josiah saw the old prophet's tomb, took courage that God does fulfill his word. The people remembered the message for a long time after. And it's something that we should remember as well. What does God do about disobedience? He punishes it. Next week, we're going to be looking at 1 Kings 14. Jeroboam receives another warning. This time, it's much, much closer to home. And he still hasn't listened to the message that he heard when that man pointed at the altar and told him what was going to happen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are so faithful to your words, that you are so true to your search for justice, and that you don't tolerate any disobedience. But we are thankful, Lord, that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us so that we don't have to give any sacrifice, that we don't have to do anything for you other than ask for forgiveness and that through your son on the cross you've forgiven us and that we can have that gift of eternal life forever just by asking and trusting and believing. We know, Lord, that we need to obey your word. We know, Lord, that we need to listen to your message and I ask that you'll help this congregation to pray more, to read more and to listen to you and what you've got to say to them. Amen. Amen.